Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. It's nice to see those bangs push out of your face. <laughs> Why, thank you. It's good to see you deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, can you see, like, like old, like, I don't want to say yes. old me. It's not old me. It's young me, I guess. It's young you. The, the 2006 jumped out. <laughs> yeah, you haven't looked that good since you hit 50. And I know. It's very I mean, clear. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to make it clear. <laughs> <laughs> that, what, what is the, is that your senior picture that that's in the middle these are all three of my senior portraits this is my fancy one um i guess this is the like tuxedo one and this is my casual one my casual tuxedo one the i mean well the casual one's great i don't want to i mean there's pillars which is a little fancier right right. uh upstate new york (laughs) casual we have hay bales (laughs) but uh but i have to say the the like tuxedo one very classy like have you submitted you, for james bond yet do you think you I could mean, take over for daniel craig i think i'd be better than tom holland how about that <laughs> <laughs> oh man we just lost our one listener tom holland i know i know tom holland's gonna call in next week and be like excuse me the fuck <laughs> <laughs> hi everyone welcome to the mixed reviews <laughs> Hey guys, this is a movie film podcast. We take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre, which we will be talking about this week, mm-hmm. and we give you a big history and we talk about what we like and what we don't like so much. Yeah, we mix up those reviews. Um, and this this episode, it's just you and me, Gavin. It's just the classic um, formula, yeah. the winning formula, I would say. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Carol Burnett, and what she always likes to say is. It's a family show tonight. Yes. So. Yes. It is all in the family, um, which I which I appreciate always. Um, <laughs> our rated PG <laughs> podcast for families. Um, Medea's The Family Mixed Reviews. Yes. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Woof. Um, well, don't even pitch that to Tyler Perry. He'd go crazy. <laughs> um, I've been threatening to start watching his um, shows on BET. They look so unhinged. Um, the yeah especially the white house one yeah. every time i see a preview for that during drag race i'm like what is this the oval <laughs> um but yes hello hi i'm so excited we we have not done a mini genre in a very long time and we don't have know one, and we have one for this episode but before we jump into that last episode we had our good friend manish on to talk about Mr. Ang Lee. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, I made the joke, you wouldn't like me when I get angry, <laughs> which is a throwback to the Hulk, which surprisingly no one voted for in our poll. But <laughs> it is funny how you were immediately canceled after that joke. Just <laughs> yeah, I was canceled. Yeah. They said, you're just a dumb dumb. Um, but we did ask you guys to go online and to vote for your favorite Ang Lee movie. And oh, honey, they were real mixed. It is all oh my over. Goodness. A lot of people were uh, hemming and hawing, I would say, over what to vote for. Um, Gavin, I saw that you were crying that Lust Caution wasn't getting as much love. I was like, girl, you really thought Lust Caution was going to get. I was in tears, baby. I was like, <laughs> Not enough less, not guys. enough caution. Nope. <laughs> um, in last place was my pick, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, with 15.3%. Um, Lust Caution, which was Gavin's pick, and Other tied uh, for second place with 22.4%. Um, and the other was, you know, across the board. We had a Crouching Tiger. Um, what else do we have? We had The Wedding Banquet. Uh, broke we had back. Broke Back. A lot of we Broke Back. We had The Ice Storm. Which... Yeah. 
I'm triggered. <laughs> <I know. laughs> if you if if you guys could audibly you know hear stares, oh yeah. <laughs> that look I just got from Louis. It's a great movie. The amount, so. of, the, the amount of people I know, I know I'm basic. It's fine. Um, and in in first place, uh, Manisha's pick, Sense and Sensibility, came in with 40%. I will say I am very surprised. I did not know that there was that much love and goodwill for Sense and Sensibility, especially considering it was his first um, English language film. Um, it's kind of like early in his canon, um, but people live, laugh, love it. And so do we. So, yeah, um, the goodwill that that movie generates is it just knows no bounds. And yeah. I, I didn't realize it either. And I, I love that movie. It's nothing yeah. to take away from that movie. Glad it won. But yeah, I, yeah. I was impressed. Yeah, I would say like from the people that responded to us with other I think like Brokeback was like the most uh, mentioned. Oh, yeah. um, and I don't disagree. Gavin, I loved your um, post of. Uh, and if you guys haven't seen, Gavin posted a lot of extra bonus content on on the socials. Uh, <laughs> my favorite one is us talking about the cameos in Rook Rook Mountain, um, Linda Cardellini, Anna Faris. Um, what's the hot guy from? David Harbour. David Harbour. Mm. You know, the fun thing about being able to do that is the visual component. So people get to see like how great Anna Faris's hair is in her truly. small role. Truly, truly, truly. Um, so thank you guys for listening to that last episode. Thank you, Manish. Um, and that is Ang Lee. So now we are putting him aside. We are saying thank you so much for coming. Um, and, and we're moving on to our new episode topic. And like I said, we haven't done many genres in a while. And I could have sworn that this topic was a suggestion from a listener. It is. It is. Who? Go on. It is my friend Kim, who oh. I actually invited to be on this episode. She's a very talented editor, and I would love for her to come on the show sometime, but she is shy. Oh, okay. So she yep. was like, she was like, you guys take it. You guys and got it. I was it. like, okay. Not not gonna force you onto the airwaves. No, 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 no. We would never, we would never, but we are gonna take no. your idea and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Are you ready to gas up the car? Oh yeah. I am pumping the brakes. I am going from <laughs> zero to sixty and three point five. Uh, Just keep an eye on that speedometer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um we're oh, crossing state lines. Speedometer, odometer, dashboard, confessional. Um, <laughs> your hair is everywhere. It, honestly, it really is. It's a problem. Um, <laughs> except for my head. Um, but hello, everyone. Hi, we are talking about road movies. Road movies. It is the, maybe one of the most overlooked mini genres of film. And yet every major director has at least one road movie in their canon. You've got your Scorsese's, your Spielberg's. You have your king of the road movies, Vim Benders. Yeah, uh, so like it is it's, all over. Animated, oh, absolutely drama, comedy. Like I think doing this episode, you know, we kind of realize um, there are just so so much to get into. There's a lot widespread of it, and also kind of. I think when we're going to get into this, it's like, what makes a road movie? Yeah, absolutely. Does, does one even need a road for a road movie? <laughs> it's funny. There is a subset of road movies that don't involve a road, and they're called no road movies. Yes, very. So <laughs> as we both came to learn while doing the research of this, uh, mini is maybe not the right way to describe this genre. Yes. But it is sort of a subset uh, as well as a catch-all. I don't know. Yeah. You know, rarely is a film genre both a winter and a summer. Right. But this one pulls it off. She does it. She has the range, you know. Um, 
so Gavin, is, is there anything else we should say? I mean, do do we want to have that convo right now before we try and do a rewind? Like, no, I think we should get into it in the rewind. Baby. Okay, this okay. is just the intro. Okay, you love a rewind, so let's get into it. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt, Louis. It's gonna be a bumpy night. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of Romy Michelle when they're like, "Woo!" and then the car stops. <laughs> okay, woo. And she keeps doing it. That's us. That's us. That's fully us. All right, let's get into that rewind. This will maybe be the first episode of of the Mixed Reviews without any audio uh, academic audio clips there will be sound clips from movies that we watched but unfortunately there just nobody has made like a road movie documentary there i could i scoured the internet for some interesting sound ups there really just isn't mm-hmm. uh so you're gonna be stuck with us as your main navigators throughout this road trip but we're gonna do our best to describe it to you um road movies are very they're a very classical type of storytelling they're essentially a journey narrative that journey can be both physical but oftentimes it's mental as well too uh it's a very big cliche but um dr neil archer who's a lecturer of film studies at keel university and he's also written the book the road movie in search of meeting and the french road movie space mobility and identity um he explains that Road movie is defined by forward movement, yet is in many respects one of the slower film forms. Mm. Um, He also goes on to explain that at the risk of evoking cliche, that the road movie's real story focuses on the, quote, importance of the journey, not the arrival. And in some instances, Thelma and Louise were looking at you, they don't really arrive at all. I mean, Miley Cyrus, it's the climb, (laughs) hon. Genuinely, genuinely. Um... So road movies, road narratives essentially go all the way back to 1200 BC. Uh, I'm sure there was stuff beforehand, but really the first recording of one is Homer's The Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Um, Odysseus sets off. He angers uh, Greek god Poseidon and then uh, spends the next, I think it's seven years. Don't look that up, guys. Um, (laughs) And trying to get back home. He can't. You know, has to stop many different places. Antics, and, antics, antics. Oh yeah, he's you like Cersei's turning men into pigs. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know how it goes. It's like there's a cyclops, sex, drugs, rock and roll. <laughs> the same old story. I mean, I mean honestly, it really kind of is. Yes, I'm. Yes. <laughs> um, and that narrative sort of ends up, you know, it it sort of permeates literature and really, obviously, like. Once films start being made, it sort of comes into, you know, the American lexicon of of filmmaking. Uh, some of these early road movies go all the way back to um, Buster Keaton with One Week, uh, which is barely a road movie. The road part really sort of comes in at the end of it. It's about half an hour, but you can look it up on YouTube. It's, it's worth your time. Um, and... You know, that's a silent film. And really, I want to say the first big American road movie is It Happened One Night, 1934, directed by Frank Capra. It Happened One Night is a movie about an heiress who's trying to get away from her overbearing father. This heiress is played by Claudette Colbert, and she sort of sets off out in the road, and she's found by this, like, out-of-work reporter. 
uh, played by Clark Gable, and he's decides to go along the ride on the road with her to like get a good story out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that narrative, obviously, this is a bit skipping skipping ahead, but um, we basically just sort of talked about that narrative recently when we talked about Audrey Hepburn's Roman Holiday, yep. which follows a very similar structure. Did you give that child all your money? I didn't give him anything. You were the big-hearted gal. All the money I had was that 10 spot. So I've been thinking you better wire your father. No, sir. I started out for New York, and I'm going to get there if I have to starve all the way. The Odyssey and It Happened One Night, you're, you're going to start seeing, like, and I think maybe, Gavin, you and I can argue about, like, really what what maketh the road movie. Obviously, there is a central character or characters who are trying to go somewhere. And, you know, oftentimes there is a physical journey for um, Odysseus. He was trying to get back home, um, you know, and then they like often, more often than not, there is like some, someone else who's like, oh, you're trying to go somewhere. You need something. Maybe (laughs) I need something too. Maybe I want to help out, but for my own thing. Um, And so I think it's, it's funny. Like you're, Already at the beginning, we're they're seeing the the blueprint like form for what um, a lot of I think as time marches on, we're going to see people trying to like how do we remix the story, how do we tell the story again and again, but in new fun ways. Absolutely, and the reason that the road movie is and and there are plenty of good foreign road films. We are both um, in the U.S., but you know the road movie is often just thought of. As a mainstay of U.S. cinema, part of that is because the United States is so large, and that idea, you know, that go west idea, that westward expansion, it obviously springs to mind. Um, U.S. road movies uh, tend to examine the tension between uh, the two foundational myths of American culture, which are uh, both individualism and populism, Um, and so the the road usually um is presented in sort of a quote uh utopian fantasy mm-hmm. um with sort of a homogenous culture um and that's like the good that's sort of the good part of a road movie and a lot of the times the other half of the road movie is the sort of dystopian nightmare you see that i feel like you see that more in comedies you know the, yes you, it's 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 almost like and tell me if you think i'm wrong but like it's a lot oftentimes like people who think that they need to um, uh, mark or conquer country, conquer yeah. the, the vast open road, and like the comedy or the like, the the it's like a fool's errand. Like no man can conquer the mountain, no man can conquer the woods. Which reminds me, do we think Into the Woods is a road movie? I don't know. I mean, um, it is a journey. It's a journey, hun. They're trying to get. <laughs> something not somewhere i guess but they're learning growing anyway (laughs) um the other big countries when it comes to road movies this will not shock you because they're also vast wide open spaces australia yes canada Mm -hmm. uh australia's road movies tend to be a little more darker uh it's a little adheres a little closer to their national heritage Um, a lot of them also deal much more with that dystopian nightmare you get a lot of like 
going across the the country i mean pretty much the mad max films you know right like it's it's the idea that you know society has fallen apart everything's a wasteland and it's just getting from place to place stop turn the rig around go back for her no tell him to turn the rig around did you see it she went under the wheels did you see it she went under the wheels. We keep moving. No! We keep moving! He doesn't know what he's talking about! There's other examples of that out of Australia, Dead End Drive-In from 1986, which is a, a drive-in theaters that are turned into detention centers. Um, you also get a lot of uh, horror uh, road movies out of Australia. Um, I'm thinking back to the Jamie Lee Curtis road games, uh, movie with her and Stacy Keach. And mm-hmm. on the other hand of that, you know, you get things like Adventures of Priscilla Queen in the Desert, which is both a Ugh. very gay road movie, but also deals with, you know, diversity in Australia when they run into the indigenous people there, the Aboriginal people there. Um, Walk About, a film from 1971, also deals with the Aboriginal people. I, uh, I don't want to talk out of school, so I will be upfront and saying I have not seen Walk About. Um, because I know that there's positives and negatives of that movie. So, um, um we talked extensively about Priscilla Queen of the Desert in our Dragon film episode. So, if you want to hear more about that, and I, I do want to say, like, there has been, I mean, there almost hasn't been a subject in our last little bit that ha- that we haven't ended up talking about yes. a road movie without realizing it. Even things like Cicely Tyson in The Trip to Bountiful which is a road trip film for an old woman who's trying to reclaim part of her past that she's lost and part of her individuality and freedom. Would you say Life of Pi is a road movie? I would say uh, accidentally. I I would, yeah, I would say Life of Pi is an accidental road movie because... um, He's not, he doesn't, there's there's no intention at the beginning, obviously, there on the ship, but then he truly is on this quest to survive... Yeah, the journey of survival is is forced on him. Um, yeah, which isn't quite as as easy as people who intentionally set out. But there's, I mean, that's sort of what happens in this genre as well. Uh, European road movies tend to be a little more um, internal, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm being very general and broad in these. I, I don't want everybody to be like, well, I listened to this episode of the Mixed Reviews and they said European movies are internal. But there's there's a lot of um, the journey is much more about self and less about traveling from place to place to place to place. Right. Um, I think it's like also, though, I mean, in the, the U.S., it, it like the internal is accidental. And that's almost the point, right? Like they kind of yeah. understand like, oh, I got here but it doesn't even matter that I got here because I've found something out, something about myself. Um, but because the there's a, so much American myth with going out West and conquering the mountains of the Rockies, like, I don't know, and I could be wrong. I don't know that there's that same mythology of Europe, um, you know, and, and driving around like that. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, there is there is a there's certainly an element of colonialism uh, yes. for a, a lot of parts in Europe, but yeah, exactly. Moving from place to place, especially with the advent of cars, uh, which I didn't even mention, by the way. Obviously, like road trip movies, 
they exist. You know, Wizard of Oz is a road trip movie. Yes. Uh, they clearly down a road. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's I yellow mean, brick. The, meta- the metaphor is, yeah, the <laughs> metaphor is there as well. But I mean, it's pretty obvious. My, people come and go so quickly here. <laughs> Follow the yellow brick road. 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 The spread and more common aspect of owning a car, which occurs in the 1950s and 1960s, the urbanization, the the tearing down of people's homes to create highways, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of creates this new era of road movies. And you see it also reflected in literature. You know, you get Grapes of Wrath, which is essentially both a road book and a road movie. You get Jack Kerouac, all, all these things about sort of the myth of the journey and the traveling and the the things that happen during the journey yep. uh, th- that all sort of comes about really in the fifties and sixties. Um, as I was saying, the, the European films, some of the ones that I'm specifically talking about, I mentioned when Wenders up front, uh, he early on his career does a road trip trilogy, um, which uh, are a trilogy in themes, not necessarily in plot, but Alice in the cities, the Wrong Move in 1975, and Kings of the Road in 1976. He then goes on to do uh, The American Friend, Paris, Texas, <clears throat> and Until the End of the World. So, like, Wim Wenders is just, like, all about the road and all about the journey and and finds it as, like, a great framing device in order for him to present these people to you and, and really you sort of get to learn from them as they go. Um the French road movies, maybe the most famous one is Agnes Varda's Vagabond, uh, which I think shares actually a lot in common with one of the most recent road trip movies, Nomadland. Mm. Um, it's about a young girl who decides to drop out of life and live off the land. Uh, the big difference between those two films being parts of Vagabond are sort of presented in a documentary style and you're learning about this woman through the people that she met on the road, whereas Nomadland, the documentarian, is essentially the main character. She, I'm not saying she is a documentarian, but it's very similar. Like she's a woman who's like getting into this life and learning about this life, and mm-hmm. and it, I I saw a lot of mirror reflection in that. And good, that's a that's a good thing. That's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do, that's not a criticism. Um, Spanish road movies tend to be a little more female oriented, uh, which is kind of interesting and kind of neat. And a lot of that seems to come from they sort of take influence from the American road movies that are about women, which doesn't really start happening. I mean, the earliest one you kind of get is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the Scorsese film, which you could argue is maybe not fully a road movie. But uh, Jonathan Demme's Crazy Mama um, and then Thelma and Louise later on and Herbert Ross's boys on the side. Mm-hmm. But once again, those are really late entries. It, you yeah. know, those are like starting late 80s, early 90s. Yep. And that's you really don't see the minorities enter the road trip realm until then. You know, you, very often um, these road movies are about men and right. men finding themselves and men, yep. you know, having to do the thing. But 
and white men. I mean, white. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's like, which I think is reflective, though, of like the lack of access for people of color in public spaces and public land. You know, um, my little sister works for the Forest Service and she's always constantly working to get more people of color literally outside into the forest into, and a lot of that is just access but also you, you don't see that and so which I think is um, interesting and good to see like movies like Are We There Yet which is focusing on a black family hitting the road because obviously black families you know take road trips but you would never right, see that right. now if you don't open that door before I count to three somebody gonna get it one two Another great example of a of a black road trip film uh, we talked about in our Spike Lee episode, which is Get on the Bus. Um, it's also sort of unique because it is a group outing. Yeah. Whereas most road trip movies really are about the solitary or, you know, at most as many people as you can fit in a car. So usually like four people. But mm-hmm. Get on the Bus really takes its time to explore I don't know how many people are in that movie, like 15, like, yeah, like a, a bus a full of men. Um, and, and so that's like a really interesting uh, addition into this, you know, road tripping. Right. Uh, canon. If you weren't hired to drive, would you still be going to the march? You kidding me? Even if I didn't want to. The women in my house wouldn't let me hear the end of it. So they wanted you to come, huh? They insisted. <laughs> Check this out. George, you find time to watch football. You better find time to go to D.C. Or, Daddy, I know you're going to be there, aren't you? Sounds like you got a house full of women. Yeah, I got two girls and a wife. How about you? You got any kids? Oh, man. Keep Jimmy in his pants. Keep him locked up tight. Finish school, you know? Get a career. Get married. Then start having those. You mentioned like the advent of like the technology. And I think there is also an American obsession with cars and like, yes. you know, you mentioned like the technology something for it. I, I, I saw that you were watching um, the long, long trailer. Yes. The, was, the Lucy film. Yes. So it was one of the few movies Lucy and Desi did together, um, which I have a myriad of facts about, but I'll let you continue your thought. Well, so I I watched it and that is fully like them discovering like the technology of an RV, like, and, (laughs) and the comp, I mean, it's classic. I love Lucy, like this, like antics and bits. Um, And, but also uh, is so fifties, you know, they, they want this like upscale life uh, and and livelihood of, of, and, and on top of that, wanting to hit the road. Um, I think they're moving to Colorado. It's 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 almost cliche on every single like level. They're hitting like the American <laughs> dream, like Mark, 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 Mark. Um, it's a fun enough movie, you know. It's like kind of harmless, but um, yeah, it, it's it, it it was kind of surprising to see basically like I mean because you that specific movie like about the family who's you know fucking up with the rig and like can't drive and like oh no, that is the to a t- if we were going to be very narrow like that is you know something that we could just talk about like it's the vacation it's the rv it's it's like, the that goofy movie. movie yes and and <laughs> and like those movies you know there's a very specific you know there's usually some music involved there's usually and in long long trailer they sing a song together for like kind yeah. of no reason they're just enjoying the outdoors um 
there is usually like a fuck up with the RV trailer contraption that is new and, and kind of foreign to them. Uh, there is usually, it's, there's always kind of like a Western thing going on, whether it's like uh, they somehow they're always fucking dressing like cowboys or running into cowboys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. Again, like you see that kind of cycle kind of going and going and going. Um, do you have any fun facts about the long, long trailer you wanted to drop? Well, well, my favorite fact, it barely has anything to do with the fact that it's a road movie. But at the time, the movie studio was like not keen on it being Lucy and Desi because movies in that period were like really trying to set themselves apart from TV because TVs were in Mm. households and they were like, people aren't going to come see, going to pay to come see something they could watch on a TV. Desi Arnaz bet them a significant amount of money. I want to say $10,000. I'm not quite sure. To say, no, people will turn out for this movie. And they were like, whatever, we'll take the bet. And they did because nobody had a color TV at that time. And it was your chance to see Ricky and Lucy Lucy. in color. Yeah. There you go. Uh, The movie looks great. Oh, it does. I mean, it's Vincent Minnelli. Like, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. But I will say the the one negative is, is it focuses so much on Desi Arnaz and like Lucy's the star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. They're, and, and they're funny and lovely together. The song that they sing together is cute. Like, yeah. It all started when Lucy told me she wanted to spend our honeymoon in a home away from home. Only eighteen hundred dollars. And that's complete, mind you. Everything is included. All this furniture, chairs, sofa, bed, stove, refrigerator, shower bath, everything. Absolutely everything. Well, it's kind of roomy at that. The wonderful closet space. Where? That's the living room. The other darker side of the road movie is like the outlaw rebel. You know, the post-World mm-hmm. War II noir era, such as Detour or the Hitchhiker, the Ida Lupino film, um, and that sort of scrutinizes the lay of the land of the U.S. And you end up seeing that sort of getting reflected, carrying on later. You know, you move into uh, the 60s with Easy Rider and Bonnie and Clyde, and that gives away to much darker road movies in the 90s, My Own Private Idaho, Thelma and Louise, Natural Born Killers, California. One thing that I kind of thought was interesting was um, America's fascination with truck culture, um, yeah. like uh, big rigs. Um, and sometimes it's like jolly and fun and like Hong Kong, whatever, I'm living on the open highway. <laughs> but then other times it's like every truck driver is a rapist or a murderer. And like it's yeah. dark. And and also or, or exploring... there may be not even a truck driver at all. It might just be a demonic yes. truck. <laughs> yes exactly and and like the fascination with like oh did you know that truck drivers have their own language it's so crazy <laughs> um i saw convoy which i quite liked actually i was surprised at how much i liked it um but and the, but the whole idea is like these are people who live differently than us and they're <laughs> on the road um but it's actually a quite progressive movie i thought i think and around that time period was probably i guess when people I mean, I guess truck culture and like big rigs have been on the road for a long time. But in my brain, the 60s and 70s is kind of when America decided to have like a fascination with them. All to say, I, I just thought Convoy uh, with Chris, it stars Chris Christopherson um, looking very hot and sweaty. I guess it's like hot in trucks, so he never wears a shirt. Um, and it's fully kind of like a 
pro-union pro-worker movie it's definitely a fuck the police movie and that is certainly a big a big factor in a lot of these films a lot of them are very much just like you know i've never heard the word pigs so many times (laughs) they're watching movies yeah well a lot of these movies are about you know this is america and these are my roads bitch if you think you know these roads better than me you're out of your fucking mind before we move away from convoy i do want to mention that that was a Sam Peckinpah film, which I was not aware of. Um, I also watched it and it ended up being the biggest box office success for Sam Peckinpah, which is crazy because he's sort of remembered for these very dark, like bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia and these violent, mm. nasty movies. Oh my um, God. And that move and that movie is not, and except no. there is a, there is an incredibly violent shootout in that movie, but it's the most Peckinpah thing. Yeah. I was going to say in I, the film. I'm not familiar with his work. And so hearing you say that is kind of shocking because it it almost feels like that anger is directed towards this social movement. It really just feels like a movie of uh, the Vietnam era where everything is just like, fuck the government. Please don't be using that kind of language on the air. Well, especially don't be using it in regard to my beautiful black truck over. That thing you call a truck. That's the worst pile of garbage I ever had the misfortune of writing a citation on. And, uh, Martin, you better take a look up the road there, fella, because we got us a roadblock with 20 armed men. On the opposite side of that, I did want to mention Steven Spielberg's, one of his very first films. It actually ends up uh, as a TV film, but gets released um, as a theatrical film over in Europe. It's called Duel. And it's about a man trying to get home as he's stalked by a trucker. Um, and that is what I, what I was referencing by being like, it's possibly a demon. Yes. It doesn't. It just doesn't seem to let him go or get away from him. Even so much so that at one point, um, Steven Spielberg had them add like an, an unnatural growl to the truck. So yeah, it's I Duel is surprisingly effective, especially for something that was made as a TV movie. And uh, if you want to see some good early Spielberg, 1971. That's definitely the thing that reminds me of is Joyride and early aughts. Very uh, again, kind of taking that like mysterious trucker um, uh, uh, culture and like being like it's dark and scary and like who oh my god how are you how how do you know my name over the 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 little fucking radio it's crazy stop no <laughs> duel was a big um a big reference point for joyride more on that terms of like outlaws you get terrence malick's badlands you get paper moon which is <clears throat> i love paper moon but it is like real on that tip of mm. like like He's not a good person, but like he's a con man, mm-hmm. but you know, she's a kid. It's cute. I, I, I love Paper Moon. I highly recommend checking that out. Peter Bogdanovich, that's from 73. Um, Smokey and the Bandit in 1977, which we talked about in our Sally Field episode. Yes. And so, like, like I said, we we've touched on a lot of these films and a lot of our previous episodes. So we may not go super duper in depth, but I can recommend going back and listening to those episodes because we probably talk about them just a bit more. Yep. Um, the Blues Brothers is yes. another good outlaw road movie musical mm-hmm. from 1980. Um, but also John Landis, so go fuck off. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, is the I mean, I think 
it is worth mentioning. I would venture to guess if you asked a certain population of Americans and you said, what is the quintessential road movie? I think a lot of them would say National Lampoon's Vacation. Absolutely. Which is to the T like a road movie. And we talked about before for John Hughes um, in that episode. Um, and which is funny because I don't think a lot of people would, would uh, think about that, but it's because he wrote the original National Lampoon's story that was in the magazine. Is that right? Am I remembering that yes. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they, they made the movie. I don't think he made the movie. Um, no. Um, but I remember we watched it for um, that episode and they've made many more. Uh, there's like a whole canon of Vacation Las The first one I watched was Vacation Las Vegas. I remember seeing that one a lot as a child. Um, I know they went to Europe in one of them. Um, and, and just a couple, maybe not a couple, but like five-ish years ago, they made the loose sequel i guess yeah like a semi-remake right um but also sequel it's like the son is at home rusty um and you know what i gotta say i was ready to not like it and i thought i think it was kind of effective i laughed i and i I think um there is a whole other subgenre of uh this where it's like the gross out stuff like and vacation probably is you know, part of that, it, it sets up like very dumb. I, I, yeah. I feel, I feel like vacation sort of creates that blueprint because also it's trading on the idea of Americana and mm-hmm. the sort of, as we mentioned, the, the dystopia, but also like not, not in a sense that like there's been some sort of world ending event. It's just reality, Yeah, but it's anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And from that, you end up getting things like the movie road trip or oh God. Euro trip, yep. you know, the, these sort of gross out, um, I believe the the some people would say sophomoric mm-hmm. comedies. Um, and, that... and the thing is, like, I, I rewatched both of those movies and I'm like, these aren't good, but they know what they are. And yeah. I don't think they're trying to, like, pretend that they're not. Like, in, I think, is it Road Trip or Euro Trip, where they're like, Tom Green is telling the story, he's a narrator, and, like, the camera is just on the woman's boobs while the women are talking about how men only talk about boobs and i was like they are kind of in on the joke it's disgusting and gross but like they're not pretending to not be that and so i appreciate that they're not like yeah they're being upfront with like what this is um and oh gavin i just remembered a very important thing i want to talk about in this episode i have a theory that for a good road trip movie or road movie there is always has to be a little kernel of uh, sexual homoeroticness. <laughs> there is a, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of it. I mean, and a part of it, I think, is just because so much of them are, you know, these masculine men who want to like get closer to. I mean, a lot of them are. Oh, I'm a sad office man, and I actually want to be hot outside man. You have. Uh, like hot guys who are just like always taking their shirts off for some reason or like even in road trip sean william scott is literally getting finger banged yeah as an antic and and the gag is that he likes it and (laughs) i remember being an impressionable young homosexual and being like sean william scott is so hot and he has he is asking for three fingers in his butt in this movie (laughs) um yeah and so yeah, gay stuff happening in these movies that aren't even gay, but kind of are. 
I'm going to perform a procedure on you called milking the prostate. It's an anally induced ejaculation. You're going to feel strong pressure on the prostate gland from inside your rectum. Oh, come on now. You don't have to get all scientific on me, baby. And we can just talk. Whoa. Oh, ah! Oh! 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 Stop! Okay, keep doing it. Yeah! On the topic of that sort of machismo too, but going back to like the non-comedies, you get sort of things like 1971's Vanishing Point, which is about um, it's sort of esoteric and it's about a guy trying to deliver a car, but he's also maybe got a death wish and sort of the people that he picks up. I've heard that I've heard about this movie so many times in my life. I found it to be a little overrated, if you ask me, a, a little, a little dated and. Uh, I was like, the reviews like, there's are a scene mixed. Where, yeah. There's a scene where he like picks up two hitchhikers and um they're they're gay they're a gay couple and then they try and rob him because not only are they gay, they're evil. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. same come on, movie. Yeah, I know, same also. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, <laughs> but I was like I was like, really we're doing that which is not for me it's not me saying gay people can't be the villain, but they were like camp it was like Heavy stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Yes, you are. Way down deep inside yourself. It's because you think we're queers. Isn't it? Hey. This is a stick up. Stick up? Why are you laughing, Mary? Well, tell me. Tell me. I was going to ask you, do you think Two for the Road counts from our Audrey Hepburn episode? Oh, I absolutely do think it does. I think think it's a little harder to place because it creates that sort of bifurcated storyline where you're moving back and forth throughout their lives but that's what the journey is the journey in that movie the you know there is a there is a physical road trip but there is also a mental road trip yeah. that you're sort of being mapped out during um, the as we mentioned that oh yeah imploding exploding um we mentioned that in our Audrey Hepburn episode it's a, a Louis didn't like it as much as as me or our, our guest Chels but uh it's a movie about a fractured relationship and you can go listen to uh more about that in our Audrey Hepburn episode. Um, I also did want to give a shout out to 1971's Tulane Blacktop, which is um, funny enough, same year's Vanishing Point, um, and I think sort of has the same reputation, but I found so much more interesting. Um, mm. It's about two two racers. Um, James Taylor plays the driver, and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys plays the mechanic. Wow. And they they pick up a hitchhiker named The Girl, and they basically challenge this guy, played by Warren Oates, known as GTO, because he drives a GTO, oh, to I... a race, and a race across the country. And I found, first of all, I found the relationship between James Taylor and Dennis Wilson a very homoerotic, even though they were, like, fighting over The Girl. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you guys also you just... really want each other. Yeah, just kiss. <laughs> Yeah, just kiss. Um, she doesn't even have to be there. And um, uh, 
but also the most the most compelling character the person who has the greatest character arc in the movie is gto and i think in a lesser film the movie would have treated him as like a villain or but he's like this really strange sympathetic like wants to be liked but also like not overbearing just and warren oates sells the shit out of that performance i genuinely could not recommend watching Tulane black top and i was thinking about it for days afterwards wow which is which is to tell you it is not going to be my five-star review <laughs> but i want you to know Tulane black top exists and you should see it sure we'll race you damn right we'll race for pink pink slips you mean for cars you want to race for the whole shot that's right all a rolling stock where to? You name it. In that case, smart ass, Washington, D.C. Right, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Just second me. No, you're on. You're definitely on. I was going there anyway. I think as America changes, the, the road trip sort of changes. It becomes a little more dysphoric and as you mentioned there's the comedies you get into the 80s you know you enter into the sort of materialism the 70s and the 80s you know it's it's less about love it's more about what are the things i can own what are the places i can go to and you start seeing things like national lampoon's vacation um you start seeing the sort of um Wee's big adventures of the world which is you know more aimed at yes. children planes trains and automobiles adventures and babysitting one of my favorites that I watched, Lost in America, which is about a yuppie couple that decides, and they keep mentioning Easy Rider, they decide to like sell their stuff and start over, and then they realize it's fucking hard because America is a horrible capitalist country. <laughs> it's Albert Brooks, um, and it's so funny. I mean, just a very quippy film. And let me tell you something. That's not how you drop out anyway. If you're really going to drop out, you drop out with nothing. Oh, you do. Well, where did you read that? The Las Vegas guy? I didn't read it. Friends told me. People who know. You don't know anybody who knows. You don't know anybody who ever dropped out except for us. All what are right, you talking all about? Right. Well, the movie you're basing your whole life on, Easy Rider, they had nothing. They had no nest egg. Bullshit. They had a giant nest egg. They had all this cocaine. It's sort of interesting that you see this sort of um, more consumerist attitude sneak in. It's not necessarily about the freedom of the road anymore it's right. specifically about the destination that reminds me a lot of like rat race um yeah. which is fully kind of this like takedown of you know how dumb americans are in this lull rat race like trying it's for money it is for <laughs> the the product um i don't know if anyone like learns anything in that movie or there's any changes in attitudes to a very similar extent uh, it's a mad 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 world which is mm -hmm. a very similar premise and has that same sort of madcap um, yep. Yep. energy about it. I think also in the late 80s and the 90s, you're seeing the the start of a new indie film movement. We didn't really talk about New Hollywood, which which spawned Bonnie and Clyde and whatnot, Badlands. That sort of gave way to like a, the darker sensibility. But in the 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, you see this indie movement happen. You're seeing people like Jim Jarmusch come out with things like Down by Law, which is actually late 80s. Um, I think one of the great examples of a road movie, an indie road movie of that time, is uh, Aki Karismaki's Leningrad Cowboys Go America, 
which is about an Eastern European rock band who gets a gig playing a wedding in Mexico. And so they fly to New York and decide to travel down to Mexico. Very, very funny. Highly recommend it. Very weird. Very strange. As we mentioned, like the road movies, they really sort of encapsulate everything. Because once you get into the 90s as well, now you're starting to get the the women-led. You're starting to get the queer road trip stories. The My, mm-hmm. my Own Private Idaho's, uh, yes. which we talked about in our Keanu Reeves episode. Um, you get the two Wong Fu's, which mm-hmm. we talked about in our drag episode. You get The Living End, which is a Greg Araki film. And Greg Araki makes these very... 90s very queer sort of outrageous movies and the living end is basically like a male queer thelma and louise 48 hours ago i was just another bummed out hiv positive homo minding my own business go dude go i'm a fugitive facing an accessory murder rap dude come on it's gonna be rad it's just interesting to see the other creep in right right we mentioned or you mentioned boys on the side earlier and which we talk about yeah. extensively. we both chose it for our five-star review for Whoopi goldberg which is always one of my favorite episodes um and that's a all woman-led queer um and i, I mean that, i can't say good enough things about boys on the side um and that's around that time as well um i we talked about uh, poetic justice yeah, um, in, in our Regina King episode, which I, I didn't even like think about it really at the time as a road movie. But look, I was going back through, you know, these lists of these movies. I was like, Poetic Justice absolutely is, you know, one hundred percent is. You have Janet Jackson taking this trip with Tupac, um, and it's and and we love Poetic Justice. It's it's so good, um, and and again, so yeah, and it's a perfect example of you know a black movie. This is not something about you know. Um, a straight white man who's trying to like, I don't know, measure his dick. Oh, so you one of them angry bitches, huh? A feminist. What'd you call me? Said you a mean bitch. Uh-uh. uh-uh. We gotta stop this right now. You don't know shit about me, okay? Don't be calling me no bitch. You don't know nothing about me. Here I am acting all courteous and shit, trying to spark up a conversation. Nigga gotta call you a bitch to get Look, your I'm attention. I'm a black woman, okay? I deserve respect. Don't be calling me no bitch. If I'm a bitch, your mama's a bitch. Would you consider the Before Trilogy as road movies? I think the I would consider the first one a road movie. See, I would think the first and the second. I think the third maybe doesn't necessarily. The third is so right interrupted. It's right. sort of, you know, constantly being. But I think the, the first movie um, has a lot of momentum as to like them going the places. Yeah. And, and then the second movie also like has a lot of momentum of them traveling around France and yep. um, which is not to say they don't go anywhere in the third movie, but I, I think the the first two movies really cover that. But yeah, and those are romantic mm-hmm. uh, road trip films, you know, um, about love, about finding each other, you know, you and um, not all these films I'm going to mention are necessarily about that, but you know. S- similar things occur in Itumama Tambien, yes. which is a road trip movie to a fictional place. Um, we talk about Itumama Tambien in our Dega Luna episode. Um, also, the film in America. You see these sort of um, road trip films that revolve around, you know, love stories that are maybe not the classical journey through love. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is this also a good time to bring up, because I think probably the 90s is when you start seeing um, animated road movies. 
Um, yeah, we mentioned the Goofy movie, but I literally was thinking, you know, the road to El Dorado, um, Finding Nemo, which I know came later. Uh, but like, Finding Nemo is absolutely a road trip film, which is why it's funny that it is also Albert Brooks. Yeah, I so. mean, <laughs> it's almost like to a T a road film. Like, yeah, uh, and I want to say in the second Finding Nemo, there's an actual truck involved. I didn't like the second Finding Nemo, but the first one. Yeah. With Laugh Love. Um, Up, I think, also kind of fits the bill. Uh, so th- there are definitely... Do we even think The Emperor's New Groove is kind of a road movie? Like, I, I would count The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, uh, fun. And like, no matter what you're into, there is a road movie for you out there. <laughs> As part of the no road movies that we mentioned, uh, boat trips can sometimes be a road movie. One of the greatest examples of that being the African Queen starring Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, but one of the great modern no road movies, I want to say, is Embrace of the Serpent, uh, which is mm. a Colombian film. It's uh, directed by Ciro Guerrera, uh, who is uh, directed one of my favorite films of last year or two years ago called Birds of Passage. Um, really fascinating film about traveling down the Amazon, uh, told sort of in two uh, parts that are referencing each other. Really interesting, beautiful imagery and totally worth your time. Um, and I think also the the early 2000s, the sort of um, post 9-11 world yeah. gives us the, the sort of um, re-examination of the American, you know, road and, and the ideas there. And you get things like Jim Jarmusch's Broken Flowers, which I also think is a bit of a reaction to uh, Lost in Translation, but it's never been proven. <laughs> it's like the anti-Lost in Translation. Um, Kelly Reichardt's Old Joy. You get, you know, one of the earliest Mumblecore movies, the Duplass Brothers, The Puffy Chair. You get Little Miss Sunshine, which is a quote-unquote indie film but like has that cast so lol well. <laughs> um, um alexander paints nebraska you know you you get oh and stephen knight's lock which is maybe the one of the most roadiest road movies because it literally all takes place in tom hardy's car as he's like listening to messages um, um do we also not get a uh, harold and kumar uh, go to white castle absolutely um, oh, you which, know what I love about Harold and Kumar goes to White Castle is I think you could easily lump it into those sort of like gross out comedies, um, the sort mm-hmm. of road trip, Euro trips, vacation films. Um, I think it's a little smarter. Than oh, yeah. oh that. yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think. Uh, well, Neil Patrick Harris has a lot to thank for um, Harold and Kumar <laughs> single handedly reviving his career, which honestly, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If I could turn back time, I would get him out. I mean, for for what, Harold and Kumar? For a good Doogie Hauser joke? <laughs> to what end? Yeah. To what end? <laughs> um, oh, do we also get Almost Famous around this time? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I rewatched, and I just thought it was still so affecting. I, I love yeah. that little It's care. a good movie. Yeah. It's a good, yeah. I'm not, I am a self-proclaimed, I've said it many times, I will say it to you in person, I'm not a Cameron Crowe fan. Okay. Almost Famous, great film. Yeah. Is he really the, good? Is he the same person who did Jeremy Maguire? Yes. Yeah, I don't like Jeremy Maguire. I think we've talked about this. <laughs> Getting to the more towards the now, um, even something like Andrea Arnold's American Honey, which I think is like um, 
a much more grounded look at a, a road movie. Um, I don't, I don't love that movie, but I do, I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and I think that's sort of where we're at in yeah. terms of like the U S being, you know, I, I did mention, um, Nomadland is currently out. Right. I think, the, um, tri- I think the tradition of, uh, like on the comedy side, you know, I think Robin Williams RV is really funny, yeah. a classic family movie. I think it even looks beautiful. They made it really bright and colorful. Uh, I went to the National Funeral Museum in Houston, and they have oh. Robin Williams boots from RV. Why? Why? I don't. Just I guess whatever memorabilia they could get. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, in the vein of like gross out road trip movies, I think we've. Um, we're the Millers, uh, you know, drives in that same lane of, you know, crazy families. I, I think between, I think where the Millers came out first and then the remake or sequel or whatever vacation came out. Cause they're so similar in that. Like, yeah, I think the vacation are, sequel was after. Yeah. They are there. It's very much about like families who, as opposed to like RV and other families who are kind of well-mannered, these are, families behaving badly and you see christina <laughs> applegate you know fucking vomiting everywhere and uh jennifer aniston and doesn't the kid in where the millers get like a scorpion like biting his balls like it's yeah they they're really just like trying to amp up the um energy um and and the twists i guess um so yeah i mean the the, the tradition is alive and well huh um i would i would even say um one of the more interesting though does have its unique problems. And I highly recommend people specifically for this film seek out a lot of what the black critics had to say, but queen and slim, which came out in 2019 um, Mm. is, is an example of road trip movies. Um, The ending of that movie is a bit controversial. A lot of black film critics felt it was weaponizing black pain in a really uncomfortable way. Mm. Um, I will defer to them. That is, you know, but outside of that, Oh, it's it's on HBO Max. It's a gorgeous looking film, um, and performances are amazing. And it, as a first film, I think it's it was um, it was directed by Melina Matsukas, and just a gorgeous looking movie. Absolutely. We need one of your cars. <laughs> Kiss my black ass. He let him cost more than he loved us. I ain't got no extra cars just laying around. What about the blue Carolina? Gotta shut up. It's turquoise. I don't know how low key we're gonna be right around a turquoise Catalina. That's the whole point. We'd be hiding in plain sight. Do you agree to my terms or not? <laughs> I ain't giving you no damn cop. You owe me. You saying HBO Max reminds me of Unpregnant, which we talked about in our yes. end of the year wrap up. Uh, another good um, road trip movie with two friends who trying to get an abortion. I was going to say, and that's what's interesting is it does seem like the the road trip movies now have a message or are trying to get a message across uh, that, you know, the destination besides understanding is, you know, something else, something higher. Uh, and in Queen and Slims, it's a bit. Uh, well, no, I would say they're both in both of these films that we're talking about. It's very obvious what the standing is and, you know, maybe that we should have more compassion for each other. And and it's interesting to see that um, in this type of movie that it's, you know, not necessarily about the loner. It's more about us, the audience. 
Totally. I love that. Yeah, I like that, Gavin. But yeah, I think that brings us up sort of to the current where we are road trip movies, road movies, whichever one you want to say. <laughs> what, is there anything else you'd like to add before we move into our picks? I mean, I just have like this list of films where I'm like, is this a fucking road? Like the we, <laughs> me and Gavin like found a couple of lists and we're, we're kind of going off of that. I will say there are some movies where I was watching. I was like, I this is not, you know, really hitting the spot for me. Um, and, and not because I didn't like the movie, but but I was like, I don't know if this really fucking counts. Um, one of the lists said Titanic was a road movie, which I don't know if that makes sense. No. Um, There's Eat, a Pray, trip Love. in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, Eat, Pray, Love, which also was like, I know the point of the movie is she's visiting places, but it's not, she didn't have a destination and like got into antics. I would even fucking say that Gravity is more of a road movie than Eat, Pray, Love. Okay, bitch. <laughs> like, like, so yeah, I mean, that's, I think I would love um, any arguments or thoughts on like what doth make a road movie we clearly know that you don't need a road you don't need i think there's obviously some transportation happening and whether that is by boat train car whatever that has to happen but then there has to also be for me some sort of uh reckoning a personal reckoning um a personal something and whether that comes through via antics like in comedies um even the gross out comedies the antics kind of bring the families together they realize they don't you know you don't need to be the machismo man to be the good dad like that understanding kind of in the end that's where they get it doesn't matter if they get to the actual place they thought they were going what they're actually getting to is understanding or learning something about each other in a better way um and so for me those are the two kind of important things that go on um but I'm sure that there are probably a lot of movies out there that maybe have extra things or lack some of that. Um, we talked about how some of these movies often will have other themes of like, you know, Western um, type stuff, imagery of, you know, the open road. Uh, but in the end, I, I think I kind of like where I've landed on like what counts as a road movie. And like when I, when I'm watching these movies, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's going to be some sort of, getting there either externally or internally um so yeah does that make sense to you <laughs> no that totally makes sense to me uh there's definitely uh, you know I, sometimes i was looking at these lists and i was just like oh like you you just think because the <laughs> this person is moving like um i saw the wild one on one of the lists which is a very early uh, marlon brando movie and it's just like no he's just on a motorcycle like he's not going anywhere the whole right, thing I takes saw, place like, in one town um and, yeah yeah i saw the death proof was on one of them and i was like what like i don't know that <laughs> this make just because there's a car in the movie sure but it doesn't yeah you're like there's the physically movie. a road in the movie but <laughs> yes i'm sure that there's a lot of uh and hopefully it will be a lot of back and forth, like what, and I challenge our listeners to think on it. You know, what do you think makes a good road movie? I even thought like, does the road to El Dorado really count? Like they get to their location pretty soon in the movie, but the understanding of self kind of keeps happening. So it kind of does count, you know, even though they've already arrived. Yeah. Usually I think in like in the perfect road movie, when they get there is when the like kind of zenith of emotional 
understanding also happens. It kind of comes parallel. Um, and some movies that doesn't really happen. Um, so it's a little more tricky and icky. But all that being said, Gavin, I think there's a lot of discourse to be had here. And I think, yeah. um, you know, I think you did a very good job kind of wrapping up a, like a fucking mountain of movies and a mountain of time <laughs> uh, in a tidy way. That's one of the things that we always try and do when we when we do this show is that, you know, we're basically trying to we're basically trying to start a dialogue. We're trying to open up a conversation. And if you guys want to contact us with your favorite road movie, even outside of the poll, the poll only allows us to do four choices. So please, you know, tell us what you love. If there's a road movie that you've been watching for years that you absolutely loved or something that you just happened to stumble upon or something that we didn't mention, we would love to hear from you. Um, obviously, always on Twitter at The Mixed Reviews, and you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Seriously, please do. We want the engagement. That being said, why don't we get into our picks? There were a lot of movies like uh, um, that one could say that are not good in this genre. Um, there, There's quite a few. Um, but I, on, on that handy little list that you sent me, Gavin, one stuck out to me and I said, hmm... Let's see her again. I'd seen it before, um, and I I, I remember um, it was a very big cultural moment. I think for lots of millennials, um, and I, I I see sometimes uh, uh, people on Twitter engaging and saying you know things about this movie. Um, but I'm so sorry, sweetie. 2002's Crossroads is beyond <laughs> trash, mama. It is so, so bad. Shonda Rhimes, honey, I do not know what you were doing. Someone hurt you. <laughs> it might have been MTV Films. They said, <laughs> we need Britney on screen stat. And it did not go well. Um, have you seen Crossroads, Kevin? I have seen Crossroads. Yes, I did not rewatch it. Um, it was not high on my list of rewatching, but. Yeah, good for you. Um, makes sense. Uh, so Crossroads, if you're unfamiliar, is a 2002 film directed by Tamara Davis. Um, it was an MTV Films concoction. It's about Lucy, which is Britney Spears, and she has two best friends, um, Kit, which is played by Zoe Saldana, and Mimi, who is played by Taryn Manning, who I love as an actress, but she's kind of like a not good person. Um, and they're children who like are best friends and they want to like stay best friends forever and then cut to them in high school and oops, turns out they fucking hate each other. And like um, Zoe Saldana is like hot and popular. Just like me. And Taryn Manning's whole thing is that she's white trash. Um, <laughs> and I guess people don't like that. <laughs> I, I, the, the, really, I don't know what the fuck her deal is besides she's white trash so people don't pay attention to her and then lucy which is britney spears um her thing is that her mom has left their family and um i don't know that she's hot and sings in her underwear in her bedroom i don't like i don't know what her thing is except that her dad wants her to fucking be a doctor and get good grades um i will say there was one moment where she's crying because she tried really hard to get valedictorian She's actually pretty good. I think Britney Spears is actually a pretty decent actor. Um, this is not any shitting on her. I think the movie has very unwell, not good intentions. This, like I was mentioning before, when at least in Road Trip and Euro Trip, it knows that it's being crass. Um, Scotty does not know, and it's hilarious. Um, it's going <laughs> to show you the tits and ass, 
but it's going to like be in on it and and you know what you're getting. And this movie, as I sat in my living room watching Britney Spears like croak out whatever fucking there's at least three songs in the movie that she they make her sing, and all, um, almost all of them she's wearing close to nothing, which you know I'm no prude, but the framing of this movie is that it's a girl's movie and it's a friendship movie. And it's like, we should like love each other and be best gal pals. And, but that's not the message. The message here is like, you know, normal quote unquote, normal girls look like Britney Spears and do this type of stuff, which is fucking fake as shit. And I think all I could think when I was watching was Britney was being manipulated. And I think a generation of girls of my age saw this and thought, you know, God, I want to look like her and probably did really bad things themselves to get to that body shape and size. And maybe I'm popping off for all the wrong reasons, but this, it it really fucking annoyed me. Um, They go on a road trip, like on graduation night or prom night or whatever, they dig up that box of their wishes and dreams or whatever the fuck, decide to go on a road trip together um, because one of them wants to go get an abortion. I believe Taryn Manning is pregnant, wants to get an abortion. Britney Spears decides to go because she wants to go see her mom along the way. They say they'll drop her off um, to see their mom, her mom. And Zoe Saldana is going because her boyfriend or some shit lives in LA as well. Oh no, but I forgot the main Gagarini is Taryn Manning wants to go because she wants to audition for like a singing contest thing. And like the biggest LOL, you know that by the end, Taryn Manning, who by the way, was trying to have a singing career at that time, is not going to be the one auditioning. You already know it's going to be Britney Spears. Like, you know. It's, <laughs> hello? They're like, um, I think the movie is manipulative. I think the movie is sexist. There's a one hot male character guy who like, they don't, he went to jail for murder. And it's like, we already know he didn't. Um, and his whole thing is like, no one drives the car except for me. And then when he, when the girls drive the car because he's sleeping and he wakes up and he fucking loses it, there's a conversation he has with Britney Spears and he's like, girls are just like everywhere and all around me all the time right now. And like, my car is the only thing I ever have right now. And it's like, what the fuck? Like the motivation of this movie is so <laughs> cheap. We're sorry. I've been in a car full of chicks for days. Okay, do you have any idea what it's like being surrounded by girls all the time? Okay, but being a girl yourself, yeah, that, I know, stupid question. Jesus, duh! But I'm a guy, okay? I'm a guy, just a guy. And, and I have been listening to nothing but girl talk and watching you all do your, your girl things for days. And I'm not complaining, because let's face it, I'm outnumbered, but that's my car. It's in my car, and it's just... <laughs> it's the one thing that hasn't been taken over by checks. Okay. okay. Literally, Euro Trip is better than this movie, one thousand percent. I, 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 no. I, I do think that Britney Spears is a good actress, but this, this, this movie looks like it was concocted in a lab by the MTV overlords and like the fucking people who are puppeteering Britney Spears in life. It's, it's horrid. Um, this is also where you get. I didn't know this. I forgot about this. The classic Britney song, I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, in this movie is written in her diary as like a poem journal situation. And then the hot guy who she fucks and loses her virginity to, he's the one who writes the music to it for her. 
And <laughs> and this is the song that she decides to audition with at the end of the movie. It's very just hokey pokey. Uh, I was going to say like, that okay. that's very burlesque of it. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I'm like, I know that the Britney management was like, okay, we're going to have Britney Spears lose her virginity on the big screen because that's what happens in this movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and literally think it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's framing Britney Spears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you that movie Moving affected up. you a lot. I'm I'm probably not going to be as deep with my one star review. I will say, um, I'm sorry. You, I got you heated went, just then. I just really got heated. Did. I'm so sorry. Um, so my one star review is going to be in the 2000s. You actually already mentioned it, and it is the 2015 sequel remake of Vacation. <gasps> um, now, I think if you were to go back and watch National Lampoon's Vacation you would see that the rose colored glasses are not so rosy anymore. And you would maybe question why it was so popular when we were children. That being said, I think this film is so much worse because, you know, this movie both, as I mentioned, functions as both a sequel and a remake. So when it's not trying to do, you know, when it's not hitting these very lame beats about a family and how they should, love each other and spend more time with each other even though all four of the main characters are heightened cartoons of people like literally literally their child is is a serial killer in the making um it is on the other hand doing the same exact beats as national lampoon's vacation and so I think what the writers, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who actually both directed this movie as well, forgot about like what makes the original special. They forgot that there is an actual heart there that like for as awful as, you know, Clark Griswold is the Chevy Chase character. There is a heart there. There is a reason why Beverly D'Angelo's character stays with him, why he's able to rally his children I think Ed Helms' rusty Griswold character doesn't have any of that. So I guess I should start by saying Rusty Griswold, uh, it's been years since the vacation films. He's now a pilot. Um, He has a a wife uh, played by the only bright spot in the film, Christina Applegate. And seriously, what did Christina Applegate do to deserve this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) She's his unhappy wife. They have an awkward 14-year-old son named James and a 12-year-old psycho named Kevin. And Mm -hmm. he realizes his wife isn't happy about having the same old vacation every year. So he decides to recreate the vacation from the first movie where they drive to Wally World because there weren't enough red flags to begin with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And along the way, they stop at her old college. They run across a suicidal raft guide at uh, the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. They run afoul of a a trucker who may be trying to hunt them down to kill them. Uh, They visit uh, his sister, uh, Audrey Griswold, now played by Leslie Mann, and her husband, played by Chris Hemsworth. So we have talked about this very briefly before in our Chris Hemsworth episode. And his big joke is that his dick is huge. His dick is huge, but also that Ed Helms keeps saying, wow, he's got such big abs. Yeah, exactly. And I think, once again, I think that's my problem is I I don't I don't want to say I dislike Ed Helms or that I that I hate Ed Helms, but like, I don't understand him as a cultural phenomenon. 
And mm-hmm. okay, uh, fair. arguably, arguably the worst parts of the movie were the Millers, which he's also in, were him, if you ask me. And so I, I don't think he has enough charisma to carry off this like nerdy but lovable dad. And I don't think he ever finds a way to tap into the serious realm that I've seen him do and be good at, but enough mm-hmm. to tap into the like serious realm that's not immediately undercut by the fact that they've decided that he's just a raging fucking idiot. Right. And the reason why it works with Clark Griswold in the previous vacation films is he is an idiot, but he's supremely confident about it. Right. And right. I think the, the like self loathing of, of this Ed Helms character undercuts every move that they make on top of that. I don't know. I just, I hate vomit gags. I don't need them. Sure. I never need a vomit gag. There's multiple of them in this yeah. film. Um, yeah, I, I don't. It, the funny thing is, is this movie isn't anywhere near as problematic as some of the other movies that I was considering for Once Our Review. It's, but honestly, it's I, I honestly, and I know this is going to sound awful, I would almost rather it be problematic than be completely bland. I thought, so, and, okay. It's so funny. You, you think it's bland? I do. I think it's so bland. I think it's uninteresting to look at for the whole movie. Um, yeah, I was shocked. I had I had never seen it. I didn't watch it for the Chris Hemsworth episode because because I knew he was such a small role in it. But mm-hmm. I was just like, and and the big like not to spoil the movie, but the big twist at the end is that Christina Applegate has been reading this like self help marriage book. You think she's been reading the help the, help the entire time, and she's actually reading like this book about what causes marriages to die, and they have this moment where he's like, you know, am I killing this marriage? And she's like, no, I am. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, why is this her problem all of a sudden? <laughs> I, I've only been thinking about myself. You know, I wanted to change the routine and I want to go on exotic trips. And if there's nothing wrong with that. I, I was crazy to think I could make us closer by locking us in a car for a week. But you were doing that for us. You have been trying so hard to make this trip memorable for me and the kids, and and I didn't appreciate that. Well, why would you? I mean, I've put you through some serious shit. Literally a pool of shit in Arkansas. <laughs> you deserve better. What, better than you? How many men would sacrifice their careers for their family like you have? Oh, I didn't sacrifice anything. I have everything I've ever wanted. I do think, you know, I agree with you that Ed Helms probably, you know, has none of the charm or uh, cannot pull this role off. Um, But I think it's anything but bland. I think this movie is extra ridiculous. And like, and Kevin, the psychopath son is like a perfect example of that like nothing in this movie is real like instead of like getting the rv it's like this fucking weird ass fake car that has gizmos and bobs or whatever and and i don't even know if like that's such a great gag but like they go we know that this is fake as fuck there is a moment where like in vacation he's flirting with a hot chick on the road who's driving and immediately she gets run over in her entire car by a fucking 18 wheeler there is a moment where a cow gets fucking run 
like a lot of gags where things are being run over and crashed through. Um, yeah. This and even my favorite part, and I the moment when I realized, do I like this movie? Was when he's the the car has exploded. They're in the middle of the desert, and he kicks a tumbleweed, <laughs> and hits like a fucking uh, fire hydrant. And then he he's like, what the fuck? Why is there a fire hydrant? And then like seconds later, he kicks another tumbleweed and like it's another fucking thing hiding in it. And I was like, that's a fucking good gag. That's fucking Looney Tunes Warner Brothers shit if I ever saw it. Yeah, I, I agree. And those are funny moments. And there's every now and then a bright spot in the film. And I, I'm not going to say I didn't laugh. I certainly laughed at moments, but they were such disparate ideas and you're right. The, like the cartoony stuff is where I was sold. Um, but then like, I don't know the weird, like rape jokes. That's not really a rape joke. The, like w- the, <laughs> I I don't know. I just, there I wasn't think enough you're right, of it though. then to, to keep I, me interested. I do think you're right. I think you're right though, that like, I didn't buy the Christina Applegate and Ed Helms of it all. Like I never, yeah. The entire time, it feels like she's not even on his team. She's like, I was like, do you even like this man? <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. And like, I, I once again, I I love Christine Applegate. And I think Christine Applegate, by the way, um, and this is a whole other sidetrack. I think she literally plays a celebrity game like no other because she grew up on a sitcom where she was like a fucking 18 year old and men would woof whistle when she entered the room. So I think she's like known this game for a really long time and does not give a shit about it. And so she's going to make her money where she can make her money and Mm -hmm. good for her for that. But she's so good that I I just didn't want her in the, like about half an hour in, I was just like, get her out of this way. Like literally kill her off. If you can (laughs) just let her get paid and let her go. Please Um, no. Uh, Is there (laughs) anything else? I'm interested to hear what else were you considering or or maybe you didn't like for um, this episode. My other one that was very tied up until maybe a couple hours ago is 2006 Risk Cutters, A Love Story. Um, this is a movie I'd seen before. Uh, it is an indie film. I I had a screener for it, and I remember the last time I moved, um, I was trying to, like, pare down my DVDs, and I was being, like, really particular about it. And I remember Dan picking up the screener for it, and he's like, what about this movie? And I was like, oh, no, you can throw it away. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, it stars um, uh, Patrick Fugit, who's also in... Um, almost famous saved. and and saved. saved. Yeah, is that the same guy? Yeah, Mary, Mary, this is a Vespa, and Shay Wiggum and Shannon Sosaman, and there's a lot of like great, but because it's 2006, like sort of up and coming, like Leslie Bibbs in it, and Will Arnett's in it, and Nick Offerman's in it, and essentially, uh, and I'm gonna do this real quick, but it's the idea that when you kill yourself, you basically come back to Earth, but everything is just so much worse, and like nobody smiles and everything, and the main character is trying to traverse the afterlife to find his girlfriend, who he killed himself over, um, who he find out finds out is also there because she killed herself afterwards. But along the way, he meets uh, Shannon Sosaman's character, Mickle, and falls in love with her and realizes. And like, listen, the central gag that like su- the the like yeah. haha suicide is funny wears pretty yeah, thin about of, ten minutes in. Yeah, yeah. Romant- romanticizing killing yourself is not cute. 
No. And so the whole movie, which rides on that derails really quick. I will say the one good thing about the movie is Tom Waits is in it. And I love anytime Tom Waits gets to act. But other than that, like most of this movie is just utter garbage. And I, I, I don't enjoy it. But I did rewatch it for this, even though I knew, you know, and th- there's just right. such disparate ideas that just never come together. There's things about miracles. There's a black hole underneath a car seat. <laughs> when I found out it was based off a graphic novel, I was like, oh, this makes sense. there it is there it is okay well um were were there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like the only one that i think is worth mentioning is 2012 is the guilt trip and i only mentioned that because of barbara streisand she hadn't acted in so long and or the last thing she did before that was like meet the fuckers i think um and i don't know if she's done anything since i guess i haven't like researched that much but she's she acts so infrequently um and i even like the idea of Barbara Streisand is the mom of Seth Rogen, but this movie just doesn't go there. It doesn't have the guts to really fucking either be really emotional and investigate like what's really going on um, or to go there and be meet the fuckers and be ridiculous and outrageous. Um, It's just cliche after cliche after cliche. Like, you know, Barbara Streisand just being like a Jewish mom does not make like a funny character. Um, and Seth Rogen, it's so clear, like he's a bad salesman. This movie is just about, there's also a subplot about finding this man that she was in love with. It's a weird fucking plot. So she was in love with a man that was the love of her life, but then she decided to marry Seth Rogen's father and have Seth Rogen. And so there's this whole thing of like, oh, find your true love type thing going on. It's a very convoluted complicated and the bits don't land there is not enough of really anything i i i've never i i don't think there's a more lukewarm um movie that's i mean it's called the fucking guilt trip can i just say it was written by dan fogelman who is the writer director of the 2018 bomb life itself and creator of this is us so that should explain why there's no jokes to be had you know what the fuck Gavin I swear the, there is one gag at the end that I think I'm sure that he was very proud of and it's very this is Usian. um she has named her son after the guy that she was in love with but didn't marry and at the very end of the movie they meet that man's children and like the daughter is named after Barbara Streisand's character and it's like <gasps> Oh my god, yeah. they loved each other because they named each other. Imagine naming your fucking kids after the man who got away or the one who got away. Like that's <laughs> yeah, fucking weird. That's not romance, it's mama. <laughs> uh, but there were there were many other, you know, one star uh in in my canon. Uh but the guilt trip is such a good choice. Uh the wild one was another. But I'll be honest, I had more. uh, you know closer to the five star reviews than i did one star reviews so why don't we get into our five star reviews find out what we liked better i'm just gonna go out there hon i i i decided to like have fun on this episode okay i decided i i had no tears left to cry and um so that is why my pick is 1995's a goofy movie um i just don't (gasps) think they're I just don't think that there is a better encapsulation of every single thing that makes a road movie good 
than a goofy movie. It has literally everything. There is the tension between a father and son who clearly don't see eye to eye. That's a joke about the song eye to eye. Um, and there, there is music in the movie. There is the Western theme of this movie. There is, you know, hitting the road. Um, I, I, there's the, the antics and the bits are genuinely funny. Um, it also, I think, just feels so uh, iconically of the time. It's such a perfect time capsule for 1995, um, but it also has aged so well. It doesn't feel dated at all. Um, it was directed by Kevin Lima, um, and it—I think it's the only movie, or was the first movie um, that Goofy was a star in. It's—I think Mickey and Donald have a, a quick cameo in it. Um, also introduced like this universe of Goofy uh, adjacent characters, like we had known um, about Pete. Yeah, Goof Troop did exist right, before, yeah. and then this was the the reason why they didn't cast the same um, actor to play Max was because this was Max slightly older. This was high school Max. Love that. And it, and the, the, the name, the voice of Max is so, so um, like clear, like you just, he, his voice uh, is Jason Marsden. It's like that voice. You're like, Oh, that is the millennial kid t- animated TV <laughs> character voice. Um, so if you don't know really quickly, uh, Goofy in this movie is a father of his son, Max goof. Um, they have like, essentially Max encapsulates the um, angst of every young teenager, wants to be cool, wants to be liked, um, is trying to get the girl, is insecure about himself. His father literally, his fucking name is Goofy. It's his, he is an embarrassment. He's embarrassed by his dad and his, you know, dancing and his um, everything, his existence basically. Um, and he, uh, Goofy gets some advice to say, hey, your son's getting out of control and you should take him out in, on a road trip and that's how you're going to get him into shape and, and con- reconnect with him. Max does not want to go. Um, but what happens is he decides uh, to tell this lie that he's going to go see Powerline, who is Prince to a T, but also giving me major Gaga moments. Um, and <laughs> he tells a lie to a girl that he likes that he's going to go see Powerline um, at be at this concert that everyone's really pipe, um, pumped for. Um, but he knows that that lie is not going to come true because his father wants to take him on some cockamamie Route 66 um, uh, road trip and teach him how to fish and takes him to a very um, dark and disturbing uh, possum themed um uh, what would you call that, Gavin? I don't know. Um, it, it, it's mechanical. a roadside attraction, which I, I, I rewatched this movie with Dan, and I was like, see, you know, as a kid, I was like, I thought this was lame, but this is exactly the type of thing we love to do on a road trip. And Dan was like, yes, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For 14 year olds, they'd be like, kill me now, please. Um, the, the I think this movie does a really, really good job of slowly turning up the temperature and getting to that point of, when Max, Goofy says to Max, and Goofy knows that something is up. He realizes something is up. Um, uh, his friend Pete tells him, I overheard what's actually happening. And Goofy says, no, I believe in my son. I trust him. We're on this trip together. And there's that really heartbreaking moment when Goofy says, okay, Max, look at the map. Which way am I going? Are we going left? Or are we going right? And Goofy knows which way that they should be going. 
And he knows that if Max tells him to go one way, it means that he is being selfish is he and he wants this for himself and he knows if he chooses the other way it means that he loves his father and um you know has built back this relationship that goofy so desperately wants and he chooses himself and goofy is hurt and i don't know if we've seen goofy hurt and sad in a way but it feels really real the stakes feel so real and like the emotions are so um, intense. I was only trying to take my boy fishing, okay? I'm not your little boy anymore, Dad. I've grown up. I've got my own life now. I know that. I just wanted to be part of it. You're my son, Max. No matter how big you get, you'll always be my son. As a kid, that-, that really affected me. And I, I, I like, rewatching this, I was like, Oh, I I feel these emotions. Like it's funny that the, that movie is so sophisticated for a project mm-hmm. that Disney really did not consider. You know, because like it's not part of the Disney Renaissance. It comes during that right. era, but like, it, right. but it's a project that Disney didn't care about. Right, and it, I think it's the emotions of disappointing your parents is just like such a like you said sophisticated thing to tackle. It's not like. I think Disney more frequently goes for the easy hits of like misbehaving or, you know, selfish type stuff. I mean, this, this just feels like there could be no greater uh, punishment than the disappointment that Goofy feels for Max in this moment. Um, And I, I just like Goofy is kind of like that Griswoldian character who is kind of an idiot, but he just has so much love. What you were saying is missing from the vacation movie. Like it is just here in spades. He cares so much about Max and he just doesn't. And and, and their main problem, which I think is, you know, what a lot of these movies are about is like, they don't know how to communicate. They're not on the same page together and just trying to get back to like, eventually they do get to LA. Um, Goofy kind of like is able to get him into the Powerline concert. And so like the emotional um, climax of this movie is met also with the actual physical climax of the movie. Um, Goofy and Max have found an understanding. They now understand each other, but also Max is able to get it all in the end. So all it took was for him and his dad to come together. And I love um, just, there are a lot of great road movies, but I think this one just kind of distills it all really, really well into a really easy, fun, but emotional um, package that, Truly, like, I don't know a better movie. <laughs> I'm going to get us out of a goofy movie in just a second. But I do want to say there are two behind the scene facts, behind the scenes facts that I think are worth uh, talking about, which is uh, the first being Tevin Campbell, who played Powerline. Now, Disney is very famous for the fact that they won't rotoscope a character, but they really wanted to make sure Powerline's movements were incredibly fluid. So what they did is they shot him doing the dance moves in front of a green screen. And then Amazing. we're able to like... Yeah, it's early uh, animation compositing. It's really fascinating. Uh, The other thing, um, we've talked about Jeffrey Katzenberg a lot on this show between the Disney Renaissance and the DreamWork animation episode. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg is a big ideas man. Sometimes they're not always great ideas. He literally told Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy, that nobody wanted to hear the Goofy voice and let him record all of his lines in a different voice and when Michael Eisner and Roy E. Disney heard 
um, the what this new voice, this different voice, they came in and were like, no, you need to speak in the original Goofy voice. And they had to get rid of imagine. an entire week and a half's worth of voiceover work. I mean, fucking imagine watching a movie about Goofy and it's not Goofy's voice. What, what the fuck was Jeffrey Kensler thinking? No what idea. A psycho. No idea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in, insane. Yeah. Um, sorry. This movie, I mean, just to make it clear, like it came out on VHS. This is how this movie came out. Um, it's like it, it because... did have a small. It did have a small theatrical release, but not a huge one. I think like the blockbuster of it all is what drove this movie to become like the legendary icon it is today. Um, I remember watching this movie in second grade at school. They were putting this on for like whatever test days or some shit um but yeah i think that this this movie means a lot to a lot of people but gavin what was your five-star review so my five-star review and i'm certainly not going to win the poll and i don't care and I, i promise not to even i won't even campaign on this um but my i think the ultimate in terms of road movie is 1984's paris texas directed by wim wenders paris texas is a film um, starring Harry Dean Stanton. He's a man who walks out of the desert um, after experiencing a dissociative uh, fugue. He's been missing for four years. Uh, a doctor finds him, determine, determines he's a mute, but eventually is able to contact his brother, played by Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell comes and picks him up, realizes um, Harry Dean Stanton is not mute. He's just coming out of this four-year-long disassociation where he's been wandering the desert. Um Dean Stockwell and his French wife have taken in Harry Dean Stanton's son. Harry Dean Stanton's wife, Natasha, played by uh, Natasha Kinski, uh, had given up on finding him and abandoned their child with this with this couple. Um, he, the road trip in this is there's several road trips, but the main road trip is essentially um, Harry Dean Stanton's character Travis Henderson's journey into basically not being this sort of toxic being anymore and mm. essentially you know he starts to reconnect with his son he realizes he's going to go find his wife because he wants to reunite his son with his wife um they leave together and hunt her down um i'm not going to tell you where they find her i'm not going to tell you a lot of stuff but i will say natasha kinski ends up being the the real heart of this movie there's a lot of stuff she has to play with very minimal dialogue that she has to play in her face um the ending of this movie is really what i mean the last half an hour of this movie solely but essentially um the the through line is harry dean stanton's travis henderson character did something truly awful um four years ago and it was driven by his own insecure insecurity that insecurity created by toxic masculinity that Mm. pervades all of us he was very jealous of his wife existing out in the world he was constantly living in fear that she was going to leave him he was constantly unsure about um being a father uh and he basically cut his wife off from the world and was letting it eat himself up so much that he realized he had to take himself out of the situation. And so he disappeared into the desert. And as I said, um, you know, Natasha Kinski gets some really beautiful moments in it too. There's a great moment where she tells him that um, she tried to stay in contact when she left her son with uh, 
Dean Stockwell and his wife and his wife would send her pictures and she had to ask her to stop because it was too painful to watch him grow up without her. Don't you want to see him? Yeah. I wanted to see him so bad that I didn't even dare imagine him anymore. Anne kept sending me pictures of him until I asked her to stop. I couldn't stand the pain of seeing him grow up and missing it. Why didn't you kick him with you, Jane? I couldn't, Travis. I didn't have what I knew he needed. I didn't want to use him to fill all my emptiness. It's this very American, you know, the idea of Paris, Texas. They No one goes to Paris, Texas in this film. But essentially, Paris, Texas is a place where he bought land because they were going to build a house. And so that is the destination. But in a way, it's so much more of a figment of a destination than it is a real place because it's an idealized place. It's a place in his head where everybody would be happy and therefore just doesn't exist. It's a a truly, truly beautiful film. I know it has a great reputation, so I doubt my voice really fully needs to be added to it uh, to tell you to watch it, but genuinely take the time. It's it's a really great film, and uh, it'll tear your heart out. It won the Palme d'Or? Yeah. Um, As well as the uh, Presky Prize. Um, And so, yeah, it it certainly got the the claim. You know, it was Um, uh, Sam Shepard wrote uh, large portions of it. Essentially, when Wenders wanted to um, uh, wanted to adapt one of his plays and then realized that he wasn't interested in the story of the brothers. And so Sam Shepard was like. (laughs) Okay, well, <laughs> let's let's do let's do something else. Um, but then had to leave to go shoot something else. So, do they? Does the movie tell you? I mean, I'm so interested now. Um, does because he has like I know men who are still in fugue states of toxic masculinity, honey. It takes longer than four <laughs> years to get out of. Um, but he him coming back is like the beginning, I guess, of his kind yeah. of detoxification. QL, QL. Yeah, I'm, and it, and, and like it. I think, you know, it's it's so much deeper. I think you could easily look at the movie and be like, oh, it's about a man who comes back out of the desert and realizes he doesn't, you know, tries to set the things right that he puts wrong, but also realizes he does he no longer has a place um, amongst these people. But I think that's like too easy, and and I think the film asks you to look for something deeper. I especially think Sam Shepard's involvement with it too. A lot of his plays are about deconstructing the American myth. And this is very much, you know, it's, it's that lone male figure, you know, but instead of it being about, he's going to fix his life, he's going to find out everything that's wrong. He's, he's going to fix everybody else's life. And then he's going to get well enough away and yeah it's, yeah, it's just a really, truly beautiful film. Also, um, music by Ry Cooter. Absolutely wonderful. So if you guys could just see Gavin beaming right now talking about this movie. <laughs> um. I, I was shocked. I watched this uh, last Sunday just sort of on a whim. And I was just like, I was in tears by the end of it. Um, and I'll, just, Harry Dean Stanton's great. But Natasha Kinski, like, 
her scenes like oh man i mean i was crying all the way through goofy movie so same <laughs> uh, was there anything else that you loved um you know what this is a basic pick but i think little miss sunshine is just very effective as a movie i think they're all the characters I, I mean talk about perfect casting like i think abigail breslin truly is a ray of sunshine in yeah. the movie um it's paul dano has a lot of great moments um yeah i, I, I yeah there's the, nothing to say I, more as, about this movie as much as i make fun of that cast for the fact that they were all celebrities and it was like an indie film yeah yeah it's a great cast and they all play off each other so well um, I, I have a small list, but I'm just going to get through them real quick. I'm not even going to bother describing them, but just to say you should watch them. The Last Detail, The Passenger, Leningrad Cowboys, uh, Go America, um, Wild Strawberries by Bergman, La Strada by Fellini. You know, these are the masters. These are people, um, Zabreski Point, which was overlooked at its time. Uh, I mentioned Vagabond earlier by Agnes Varda, um, Tulane Blacktop by Monty Hellman, Lost in America, which I also mentioned before. These are all really great movies, and I highly think they're worth seeking out. Um, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Alice in the Cities, which is another Wim Wenders movie. Yeah, these, I, I you can't go wrong. There's, uh, especially when we're heading into the warmer season, and I, I don't know who's going to be traveling, if you're going to be able to travel, if you're vaccinated, if you feel comfortable traveling. But like, if you need inspiration, man, a lot of these, I I was watching these movies going like, when can I leave my house? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, excellent. All excellent picks. Should we do our mixed reviews review before we get out of here? My one-star review was 2002's Crossroads. And my one-star review was 2015's Vacation. My five-star review was 1995's A Goofy Movie. And my five-star review was 1984's Paris, Texas. Oh, I'm going to lose that poll so bad. <laughs> huh? You do it You do it to yourself? I do. Let's put pedal to the metal and get into that fast forward. Like you mentioned before, we literally, the front runner for best picture this year is a road movie, uh, no in Nomadland. Um, I don't think that there is any slowing down to this genre of movie. Um, you also had mentioned that there was, like in the seventies, eighties, nineties, this materialism kind of aspect coming into road movies. I think we're now seeing the like opposite end of that, swinging the other way, and tr- and a lot of movies now are about, God, I need to get the fuck out of the for the lack of a better term, rat race of the world and reconnect to the earth. Um, I think especially now in our very um, influencery life that we are living in and everywhere is a destination. Um, I I think even outside of the world of film, a lot of people just love watching, um, you know, Stanley Tucci, hello, has a show about going places now. Um, (laughs) So I don't think, I don't think that there is um, any sign of stopping or slowing down of this genre. Um, And, you know, I I cannot wait um, for, you know, after we are in a period right now where we are not going anywhere, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, as and, and I imagine 
um, to come will be just an explosion of art about getting out, about escaping, about, you know, not taking for granted this, the space that we have um, on this planet. Um, we didn't mention, but it just pops in my little dumb, dumb head, uh, Train to Busan, um, which we talked about in our zombie episode um, and Zombieland, I guess, um, two zombie movies yeah. that I think qualify as road movies. Um, there, there. What I love about this is this: there's truly no limit. Well, that's what uh, that's what I think is that you know the road movie is never going to die because there's so many things that you can lay over it. I mean, if you really think about it, Logan, a superhero movie, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a road movie. You have Midnight Special, which was a you know low budget science fiction film, which is also kind of a superhero movie, and and really that sort of, I, or even if you go back to the eighties with Starman, which is a, a just a fucking lovely movie directed by John Carpenter, a non horror movie directed by John Carpenter, and that's about an alien, you know, and and so I think there will always be ways to to take the format to change it up to to turn it into something else and make it into something different and i think you're right i do i do think that we've sort of as a as a collective have moved slightly away from the materialistic version of the road trip i i don't know if that's going to come back i almost feel like that is like we're like on a precipice that we're just going to come back into style i think people are a little more quote-unquote woke now and and maybe we're less about that but there's a chance and but it's it's so funny to to see you know even i watched this movie from 10 years ago this indie film called take me home um directed by sam jager who was on the tv show parenthood um starring him and his wife and it's about this woman who hires a taxi and ends up taking the taxi from new york it's a fake taxi, by the way, ends up taking the taxi from New York to California. And I was just like, in 10 years of technology, this whole movie's invalidated because the gag of like taking a, a taxi to to across country, you could actually do that with an Uber or, a, yeah. you know, so like, yeah, I, I just thought it was really funny that like things change so quickly now. And I think we're just going to see new and different forms of this movie because in the end, people are always going to have to find themselves because as, mm-hmm. as we said, as cliche as it is, you know, there, there has to be a destination, but it's not about the destination. It's the journey. It's the climb. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 I can't agree more. It's and, and seeing that kind of transmutation across all the genres is so interesting. And honestly, it's, it almost feels like, and it's, <laughs> I don't want to fucking get in trouble saying this, but like it is such an easy way to set up a story to tell like a narrative arc, like the heroes, it's called the hero's journey for a reason. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and having that is of such a simple way to tell a story of a person growing, finding understanding, getting, going different places, meeting new people. I think a lot of these movies are about exploring and discovering new cultures that they're unfamiliar with and kind of like, the tension that that raises um, and, and, and the surprising things that kind of come with that. Um, and it's exciting. And I think, you know, that we're going to, you know, thinking about Finding Nemo and, and thinking about um, Unpregnant and, uh, you know, even got Tu Wong Fu, like it is such a diverse um, genre of movie. And truly the list goes on and on and on. 
Um, and I almost feel like at this moment, um, now I don't know that I will ever watch a movie again without being like, is this the right movie? <laughs> <laughs> Just everything. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that wraps up our talk about road movies. I think we have come to the end of the road. The journey has completed. I just want to say, I couldn't imagine taking this trip without you, Louis. Really? Oh my God. We found ourselves. We found ourselves. I'm Brittany, you're Taryn Manning. Oh my God, it's crazy. (laughs) As I said, that wraps up this episode of The Mixed Reviews. If you want to contact us, if there is a road trip movie that you absolutely love that we did not talk about, or even one that we did talk about that you want to engage with us with more, you can always find us on Twitter at at The Mixed Reviews. Or on Facebook, just type in The Mixed Reviews. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. You can find us over on Instagram. It's the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to us, as you have been doing throughout this episode, we are on a plethora of podcast apps. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, Google. You can find us just about anywhere. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can leave a review, please stop by, write us a little review, leave us five-star rating. We'll read it on the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, who's going to be our 56th review? Come on. We'll read Honk it. Honk your horn, honeys. Um, <laughs> toot, toot, beep, beep. We're perfect for your road trips, hands. Um, but thank you guys so much. Uh, keep an eye out for any extra goodies uh, we put out there and um, our poll coming soon. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. I hate road.